0: And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 487, and we are returning back to our first John series in Chapter 5. Mike is with me. Mike, are you ready for this one? I am. I was a little worried
1: that this was going to be starting to look like a series that was not going to get finished. And of all the series, it's the shortest one. So then there's like no hope for the other ones.
0: Mike is kind of breaking up yeah. there a little bit. Hopefully uh, that will work itself out. But as uh, Mike was saying there, I don't know if um, you you caught that, but this series looked like it might not be one that would get finished. And speaking of that, we have a couple other series that are out there that we will get back to and, um, and do in time. Uh, we have the 1689, which actually next week we will be back on doing an episode on the 1689 in chapter 22 of the 1689. And so that is a series that we have not forgot uh, as well as our Proverb series. We have not forgot of that one as well, but um, there's many things that are going on in the world um, and we're just kind of two busy men. And so sometimes the schedule doesn't allow for both of us to be here sometimes. And as it has been even like uh, last week. And then, so, you know, we kind of, go with a topic that, uh, you know, may be fresher on our mind or something that we want to kind of fill in there. But we do have those shows coming up tonight. We're going to be on first John five, not going to finish the chapter tonight, but I'm hoping that um, when we come back next week and we do the 1689 and then we have some other shows planned with some guests, but in between those shows, whenever we get those schedules scheduled, we want to come back and finish up this first John series uh, and then continue to throw in some 1689 here and there, as well as Proverbs, while yet still dealing, dealing with other topics that come up.
1: Yeah. So I'm excited for this one.
0: Yeah, Is I think this bad? will be a, be a good one to get into here tonight. First um, John 5, we've titled this one Overcoming the World, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, 1 through 12. Before we do that, though, I want to go ahead and encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We don't post a lot on Twitter, but if you want to follow us there, go ahead. But uh, on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, I don't know where you're watching from today, whether it be YouTube or Facebook. We'd love to hear you your your feedback. Tell us, let us know where you're watching from, what platform. Uh, when in, You can comment in the chat and it will... Um, show up, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook, and it'll let us know. And so uh, we want to encourage you to, you know, Larry's here. He says he's watching from Facebook, so glad to have you, Larry. Now, if you have ideas for episodes of G220 Radio that you would like us to touch on or to talk about, email us. You see the email right there on the screen, g220radio at gmail.com. Again, it's g220radio at gmail.com. And we may just very well, or we may very well touch on that. <laughs> As I was telling Mike before the show, I'm a bit tired today. I'm a little worn out. The sun was beating down on me, and it just drained you. So uh, I might not be able to talk right, so I'm glad I got Mike here <laughs> to carry us through First yeah,
1: John 5. You can also send suggestions to us on Facebook if you want to tag us in a post or just even send us a message. We'll get somehow. We'll have our secretaries look at it, file it for us.
0: Yeah, file it away, like all the complaints that we get. We send yeah. those to our former uh, co-hosts of the show. We, we attention them guys, and they'll get to it whenever they yep. ever. So, <laughs> no, we, we don't mind your criticism complaints. Uh, you know, all, all, all joking aside, uh, we, we want to hear from you, whether you have criticism, have compliments or are encouraged, whatever it may be, uh, email us at g20radio at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Twitter, reach out to us. We will see it. We will see it. All right. So getting into this First John chapter 5. All right. We're going to go ahead. We're going to read from verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to kind of come back and go through these. So as we read this, uh, follow along, <clears throat> and I will be reading from the ESV. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. We love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. A lot there, a lot to unpack, and that's what we're going to attempt to do here tonight on G220 Radio. But just jumping right in it, um, you know, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves The Father loves whoever has been born of him. I like how in this um, first section of chapter 5 here, where we see this in verse 1, and then even when you look down to verse 5, and it says in verse 1, everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then in verse 5, it's, who is he, who is it, who is that, who is it, can't even read, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Emphasizing here that there's an object to our belief. It's not just this idea that we we have this m- mental or this acknowledgement of, I believe Jesus died for me. It, it's, it's really putting that faith, it's real belief in that object of the faith, which is, who the object of the faith is, which is Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. And this is a, I mean, not new in first John and a couple episodes ago, we talked about in the the beginning of first John that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, So he's already kind of building on this. It even goes, you know, farther back when we consider the passages, And, you know, John is really echoing what all of the Bible points to that it's those who believe in Jesus or the promises associated with him for our old Testament brethren and you know, you think about. You know, the kind of the importance it's everyone who believes has been born of God. Mm -hmm. So we see that there has to be a belief in Christ this, you know, in our culture goes and what John is saying is that you just can't believe everything. And if we consider what James has already spoken about or what James James have spoken about, that the demons believe this. This isn't foreign to the demons. Um, how much more should we as Christians be? Now, obviously, they don't have the faith. They don't exercise this belief in a way that shows it. And I think this is what here John is talking about. When we consider, again, the theme he repeats that those who are born of God, those who believe in Jesus, so those are synonymous, act in a certain way. They have a love. I mean, connected with this is that those who believe have been born, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever he has been born. So there's two ideas. You have faith in it and now the faith expresses itself mm-hmm. in love towards others which means that you and as he's mentioned earlier you can't love god and hate your brethren right you the only way to love god as community of believers is to love those who also possess the same faith as we do
0: yeah And not that we're going to dive deep into this because um, we've done programs on this in the past, but I think what you're seeing also here is that regeneration precedes faith because the one who is believing has been born of God. Uh And as I said, we've done shows on this, so we're not going to go back and rehash some of that. You can go back and listen to those programs if you disagree with us and you want to have a conversation about it at some point, we can do that, whether it's on air or off privately. Um, But faith um, comes regeneration preceding faith. And so that is something I think that we see here. And as you was talking about, Mike, as well, that the evidence of that faith is displayed here. Everyone who loves the father, whoever has been born of him, right? They're going to love the brethren. And we see that here. We even go to verse two. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. This is, this is vitally important because here at G220 Radio and, and any real Christian, genuine Christian that understands theology, that understands what the Bible is teaching, would not disregard the fact that we obey God. We're not antinomians here. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know any genuine Christians that would be antinomians, A, even those that would deny that, you know, regeneration precedes faith and goes the op- opposite way. They they wouldn't deny. Uh, I mean, even I'll even say dispensationalists. There are some who would say you don't have any law, but the majority of dispensationalists today don't hold to that position. They would say, no, we do obey Christ. We do obey God. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be evidence. It's not as we will see also, it's not a burdensome thing to do. Yeah.
1: And to even say like dispensationalists, they'll just really, the question is, what does it mean to obey his commands? Is that the law as summer as defined by the moral law and the 10 commandments and summed up in the two great commandments, or is it just the new covenant commandments given in the new Testament you know, for that dispensational spin, you know, com- conversely of a covenant theology. But I think that also here, there's the connection that to love the children of God is to both love God and obey his commandments. And so there's even that. Those have to come together in it. Now, we love God and obey his commandments. There's kind of an outworking of the first into the second in that. But that true love for our brethren is us walking in a holy life, trusting in Christ. And again, I think there's... this kind of even plays a little bit into the lordship salvation debate and can you accept jesus as my savior now my lord later i think john kind of in this verse is saying no that you can't truly love other christians without obeying the commandments of god even if you would go with, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, 37, 39. How do you do those? If you're just saying, well, this is – I've accepted Jesus as my personal savior and then at some later time take him as Lord and start following him and obeying him. I think John – Here says that's not a reality that Christ comes as a package. He comes as savior, as our Lord. And when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's in one sense, confessing that he's also our savior
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, that connection. And I think we should understand that. And when we think about our own walk with God and we consider what he is saying here i think it's important to realize that i can't love god without loving the people in my church there there is something broken up with that and if i'm not working it in that way you know i need to really consider where is my faith do i truly love god the way he has commanded here in the scriptures
0: yeah and the bible says that no one can say that Lord, except in the spirit. And so that that for me then becomes a kind of a struggle because I, I know we have, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I, I know we have in the past discussed that even when we're loving a brother, it, the last time we did our show on, on 1 John chapter 4, the last section of it that we covered, But we um, we were talking about how on the program before we had, if a brother doesn't necessarily know everything, we, you don't want to just be quick to call them a heretic, right? Because there are times where a brother may not fully understand a theological understanding as maybe you have because you've maybe been a Christian a little bit longer. Maybe you're a little more mature in the faith, you know. Um, and so you want to give grace. We were talking about that when we was the last show we did on first John. And so you want to be gracious, but I, I, this is where I struggle with those individuals who think that you can, and, and I'm not even into the Lordship salvation debate thing as a reformed person. I think, I mean, I, it's not even really a, a debate for me. Right. Um, but the idea that you could have Christ as savior, but then at some point you make him Lord Where I struggle is, is this person genuinely saved? Uh Or is it, you know, maybe just an ignorance because that's, they are genuinely saved, but the ones teaching them are confusing them? But then when it goes to the ones teaching, you know, I don't, obviously we're not trying to make this our topic, but that, it just, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how that comes together to even separate that. Christ is Lord. I mean, the the first century Christians were being persecuted because they would not say Caesar is Lord, Christ is Lord. And yet we're having this idea that we can be a Christian, Christ is our Savior, but we don't have to obey his commands.
1: Yeah, I think that's important because even this, you know, verse 3 plays into this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, that there is – and even in the Israelite nation, when we look at it, is they're 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 saved by God out of Egypt, out of bondage. And then as a new community, they are given commandments. But those commandments are given upon that God has showed love to them. He had not forgot the promises of Abraham and there to now reciprocate that love in obedience. I know I've shared this. I think it's just one of the most powerful illustrations and it comes from Augustine in his treatise on the spirit and the letter. But that, you know, what is true love? The child who bugungly obeys or the child who obeys cheerfully. And we would say it's the one who obeys cheerfully because he's out to seek the, um, trying to phrase it rightly. He's, he's trying to, um, he loves his parents and he obeys them joyfully and to honor them. There's, it's a sense of honor in that way. I think we, at Christ, I think at sometimes As Christians, we don't see that obedience is equal to honor. But you know, to think about the um to think about how John is is positioning this is that obedience and love are connected and just to fathom that his commandments are not burdensome as, as Jesus would say, you know, my burden is light, take my yoke upon you. And that we shouldn't see his commandments as burdensome. They're not hindering us from joy. They're not hindering us from, in one sense, having our best life now. now we need to define that in the realm of our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of God. It's not necessarily material wealth or kind of other our circumstances are making us happy. But like Paul, we're content in all things. And that we're called to enjoy the life he has given to us. We're called to flourish in that way. Now, we also know that there's even a better life ahead of us in heaven when we come together. And so I think I think it's just a good reminder even to think about it that his commandments are not burdensome to us. And they right. bring joy and they bring happiness because we're walking in step with the Father.
0: Yeah. And like you said, with the example that you was given from Augustine, I mean, think about it. Like, as I was telling Mike, we've been doing a lot of overtime at work this week and and just wore out, exhausted. Not just this week. It's been going on for a while. Just wore out, exhausted, um, not really getting your days off, having to put in just to get a day off. And so then when you have the time off, wanting to do stuff with your children and your family, right? Because I desire to spend time with them, it's not a burden. I might be tired. I might be worn out, but it's not a burden for me to go and take them to the park, for me to go and take them swimming. You know, I'm wore out. I'm tired, but it's not a burden. It's enjoyable, right? And so it's just an analogy, but think about it on a greater scale when we're talking about the God who saved us, the God who has created us for his glory and we are burdened somehow we are grieved somehow over the fact that he gives us commands to obey there they shouldn't be burdensome and when the spirit is dwelling within you too this is another way reason w- where we see that the spirit is testifying that Christ is in us that God has, saved us, that we've been born from above, is that those won't feel as a burden, but a joy. Because it's no longer written on tablets of stone, it's written on the heart. The law is written on the heart. And the desire has changed to where you desire to do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. And when you fail, you are grieved or you are uh, convicted of it because... You sinned against God, your Savior, your Lord.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know, kind of important is just what John has been saying overall. You know, he's come back to this theme multiple times throughout the letter of what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God within a community of fellow believers within the church? And. You know that. God's I see we are
0: experiencing some technical difficulties here tonight, so do bear with us, um, Mike. So kind of is breaking up.
1: So there is that. There you go. Notice um, that aspect of it to to think, to think about it that we should rejoice in the commandments of God. I mean that's what the pro- the psalms tell us. Mhm. To rejoice in the statutes, to love the statutes, to cherish them more than gold and silver. I think there is there obviously we're never doing it perfectly. We're we don't we can't do it perfectly. But there is that idea in Psalms to love God's word and to, and not just to know it, but to obey it, to truly know it, where it works out in how we live our lives. And this is John, again, just echoing what has come before him, both in the canonical sense in which he's towards the back of the, but just in, in how the scripture develops throughout the old Testament. I mean, Psalm one talks about meditating on the word of God, both day or night. So you, you can obey it. And that is a person who is a tree planted by waters that grows. And I think we need to understand that, understand that, and that they're for our benefit. That's how God has telling us to live in his world. Has it? Yeah. And I mean that feeds into verse four because those who've been born of God overcomes the world. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We, we live in a way that the world no longer beats us down. We find our hope in Christ alone and that gives us the strength and the victory that our faith provides that we're to steal a. Christian, mid-90s or 90s Christian thing. I'm not of this world. That kind of idea. We're sojourners looking towards our heavenly home.
0: Yeah, And Mike King is asking the question here as we was talking about uh, verses 3 and 4 there. um, Before a genuine Christian learns of God's commands, doesn't he have a God-given desire to know what God wants him to do now that his sins have been forgiven? And I would say Yes, uh, a Christian would desire to want to know God. And the way that we know God, how we overcome the world? By our faith. We overcome the world by our faith, our faith in Christ. That faith changes our desires. Our desires, then we want to know him more. We want to know about him. We want to read his word. And I'm sure Mike King could probably testify to this. Uh, He's a good brother and so i'm sure he could testify to this mike i'm sure you you would testify to this and many others who may be listening who are genuine believers in christ when you first got saved and you knew very little there was such a desire and hunger to read more of god's word to listen to sermons to to listen to things that would edify you and build you up so you're going to be growing and you're going to keep growing as a Christian because you're a disciple, a learner. You're, you're going to always be continuously growing. We're never going to get to a place where we've got it all figured out. And so we're continuously growing and we may mature more in the faith over time, um, but the desire should be there. And if that desire is not there, then that goes back to me with that struggle that I was saying, thinking maybe you're saying Jesus is your Savior, but not your Lord. You really haven't don't have that desire because you've really never been born of God possibly.
1: Yeah. And I would also say um, that there's in one sense when someone's come to faith, they already know at least Mm -hmm. the major categories of sin not to do that. Our consciences bear witness to it. Um, even the Gentiles do what the law commands, and they weren't given the law, as Romans two talks about. And so there, there's in one sense which they already kind of know some of God's commands as He's written it on our hearts, but there's always depth, there's always more mm-hmm. to what it is, which is found in understanding scripture better. So yeah, I think you have not only the conscious, but the God, but then God also grows us with His Spirit to further understand how do all of these apply, and and really get down to the heart of the issue, and all the sin that is in our hearts that we may not think or are blinded to at the time. And so, so I do think there is some. You have both of those working, and just what God has created us as as humans but also now what his spirit will also do in our hearts as we grow.
0: Yeah. So as we were in chapter five here and verse one, as we started this out, talks about everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father, uh, everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. And then in verse five here, it says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So you have this kind of beginning and this end again, pointing to now what we're about to get into here in the testimony concerning the Son of God. And it Mm -hmm. says here in verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So,
1: yeah. There's a lot of debate on this one. Yeah. So, I guess the biggest well,
0: question we could probably what? should we just read the the couple verses in? I think I think that might be helpful.
1: I'm I'm saying like just verse six has debates. Okay, go ahead. With what does it mean by the water and the blood? There's mm. two views. Yep. Um, we're not even touching the the, the onion comma and verse seven. Um, I don't think these views have to be mutually exclusive and I think they're probably somewhat related, but there is two, two understandings by the water and the blood. And the first is his birth and his death. Um, you can also maybe say this is his baptism and his death. Those are kind of the two views with it. And I don't remember how I landed on this when I taught it, but kind of just thinking through it, if it is his birth and his death, um, again, we've seen John use flesh to indicate that Jesus was human. Um, John's opponents are denying that he is human, that he's, he's a God. Um, a lot of people will say Gnostic, it's part of proto Gnostic, that might not even be a proper understanding. Um. But whatever they're holding to, they just don't think Jesus has come in the flesh. He's some spirit of some sort or, um, in that way. And so, and this John has used before. So John 1934, um, has it, but he uses the blood and the water. So he flips them around. Um, Again, it can also be that Jesus is a baptism and his death. And this has been the view kind of seen throughout church history. This is kind of what they've been, um, going through and talking about and Jesus's ministry of the baptism and his atoning work is that, so, um, this could under, have a better understanding of just. By the water in John's gospel, which is referring to the active ministry of baptism and not the mm. experience of baptism. So, what does it mean to be baptized and to be cleansed? And that it connects both the works of the active role, which testifies that Jesus, Son of God, I'm with it; that He is doing the ministry that the Son has been called to do throughout the Old Testament. And then John uses blood in First John. Or sorry, John 1, 7, about Jesus' blood um, cleansing us from our sins. Um, and that might be be 1 John 7. Um, I just have a re- reference. In um, any way, kind of how we do it, we see that there is um, – it's talking about Jesus in his flesh, that he has come. That's at least we can affirm. Um, whether you take it as his baptism or his birth versus, and his death. Um, and, but I do think when you start looking at not by water only, but by the water and the blood, the, I, there is this idea of Jesus came and he died. Spirits don't die. Mm-hmm. Spirits don't spill their blood. They don't have blood. And so, we come to this idea that, and I think this is probably the the better and just how John is, I think this is where I've landed, is that he's come um, by his birth and then he's died. He's lived the human experience with it. I think... Really, I don't think any of you makes you heretic, heretical. It's just how do you try to understand what John really doesn't tell us all too much.
0: Mm-hmm. And as we, we go into um, well, it says here, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. And so, again, it's that, that emphasis that if one is genuinely born of God, you will have the spirit and the spirit will lead you into all truth. And it will testify to Christ. Right. That's why we even mentioned earlier that one can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. You can't. He testifies to the truth. Christ is truth. The Spirit is truth. God is true. Yeah. Right? And so then it goes into verse 7 here and says, for there are three that testify. And I'm going to read verse 8 here too. It says, the Spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. Now, in the King James Version, it reads, "For there are let me see, yep. For there are three. There for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. It says, um, <clears throat> and these three agree in one. Um, getting confused here, looking back. But when I'm reading this and we can talk about the Jahanian comma. Uh, Mike would know more about that than me. But just reading it in this context, it, to me it doesn't make sense when you have the Father, the, the, the Word, and the Holy Ghost in there. Because we're talking about this is he who came by the water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is uh, the truth. For there are three that testify. We just heard about the water, the blood, and the spirit. And so in the older ma- manuscripts, or the manuscripts that um, uh, were are used other than the Texas Receptus, uh, I think it's called the critical manuscripts, the critical text, um, we read here that it puts the spirit in the water and the blood is what it says for that these three are. So, Mike, I don't know if you want to speak to that. You probably know more about this than me.
1: So, yeah. I'll address that in a little bit. I think if we try to understand, being that it's questionable, we'll examine it first and then I'll I'll make some comments on why I think it doesn't fit. Like you said, I agree with you. So he's talking about verse three, for these three, for the, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. I think there's importance that we have to understand. Um, first off, Deuteronomy 1915 requires two to three witnesses for a crime, and this is kind of even accepted kind of with any legal um, work. When like people would sell land, we see this um, in Ruth, and they exchange their shoes. They do it at the gate where there have been people gathered around that can be witnesses – We see this, I think, in uh, Matthew 16, dealing with church discipline. You bring someone else along in that process to be a witness, to add their story. So it's not just this person versus this person. Now there's something else there. So the importance of the testimony of the three, in this case, the water, the blood, um, and the spirit is a case to say, look, this is not just what we're saying. We have a testimony. You have a spiritual testimony by the spirit because the spirit is truth and that we know this. We also know because we seen his birth or his baptism, however you want to take that and his death, and these all testify that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ came into the flesh. Um, John eighteen seventeen talks about the importance of two witnesses when discussing the Pharisees when they challenge his testimony. So he talks about having the witnesses with him. And then so we see that the spirit testifies because the truth of God, but then also the works of Christ in his life testify that he is the son of God. And these testimonies go. So what do we do now with this and this kind of added verse that in heaven the father the word and the spirit and these three are one and these three that testify on the earth. And so I want to change the question. A lot of times when you hear this, when I hear this, it's well modern translations take this verse out, take this part of the verse out. I think the really more important question is is that original to the text? Is what we see in the King James original to what John actually wrote? That's the question that needs to be answered with it. And when we kind of look at what the evidence says is that this idea that the Father and the Word and the Holy Spirit, these three are one, is that it shows up mostly in Latin text and it's towards the later, it's in the 17th century. It appears in Greek manuscripts, which have usually were translated from Latin back into Greek. So we're seeing that it's not seemingly original with John and um, that comes from Metzgert, who's a, a renowned, um, Greek scholar, but to note that this phrasing is in the columns, the margins, as if there are notes writing in. And I think what's really important to think about is that the church fought over the Trinity. What does it mean that God is triune? We think about the Council of Nicaea and the Trinitarian debates there in the the 300s. No church father ever quotes this verse as these debates are going on they're not referencing this verse doesn't say look he see it says it in the Bible here I think it that shows us that this verse at least with the evidence we have now is most likely probably a note and it's not original to first John and then when you kind of read it in context it does kind of throw a wrench and kind of is like what what is John doing here? And it doesn't make sense within context, Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about Jesus's ministry or his life and the Um, And those are the things that testify. The father isn't in view in this point of his argument. Now it's going to, come later in verse nine. So I think they're trying to, I think in one sense, they're making that point that the whole of God does, but it's never stated explicitly in the debates. And I think that's something to consider. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, In it. I think it's so, and I think think it's also, sorry,
0: go ahead. Finish your thought
1: and i think i think that's the thing cuz when you have debates on the trinity and they're not referencing this verse i mean this is the perfect verse to reference i think that holds a lot you know weight especially when you start seeing it in later manuscripts and not so much in earlier manuscripts
0: mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah and what i was going to say there is so when when those who prefer the king james bible and and i would say right on i mean if you if that's the okay. the version of of scripture that you read and prefer praise the lord i'm glad that, that you're reading it i'm glad that you're learning from it and you're growing deeper in your understanding with the lord but the one argument that the modern translations change this and take this out and it's an attack on the trinity um i would say if you read the the rest of the new testament in that the, the modern versions you you're not going to find the trinity removed mhm uh-huh. This verse may be in question here, uh, as we're talking about tonight, but you're going to find the Trinity in other places within the scripture. The doctrine's not taken out. So that's my challenge to anyone who is a, a KJV- onlyist, one who would say that the, uh, the modern versions are, are a perversion of God's word, if you look at, name any essential doctrine, any essential doctrine, any of them that is absolutely necessary for Christian, for the Christian faith. And you will find them in the modern translation um, manuscript, or, uh, readings from the manuscripts that, that were used to translate those modern versions. You're not going to see that Jesus is not God there. You're not going to see that um, the Trinity is not, not there. You're not going to see that salvation is ju- justification by faith alone in Christ. Alone. You're going to find them there. So no major doctrines that are essential are going to be removed.
1: Yeah. And that's in textual criticism in general, when there are questions about whether a text is in or not in the text or in scripture or not, whether a text is scripture or not, is that no major doctrine is falling because in this case, the verse isn't included or whatever it may be. Um, Christians have held this from the beginning and like I mentioned, I mean, the church fathers are debating this and saying, yes, the Trinity's in the Bible against the Arians, against the spirit fighters, against, um, the modalist, they're debating against this and saying, yes, the scriptures bear witness that there is one God in three persons all of it i mean i was just reading gregory of um, nissa this morning and he's making the argument that this that god works together all three persons work in unity together when god acts they're they are aware of the trinity and are defending it and so you know, again, that's not, not to do it. And this isn't to attack the King, the King James. I know, Ricky, yeah. you saw it. the King James served a long time as the Bible. The Puritans read King James. Spurgeon had the King James Version. And God did a mighty work with the King James Version.
0: And um, still does. Many does.
1: And still does. Yeah. yeah. And so we're not, this is not an attack on the King James version. If that's the version you want to read, do it. There is great value in reading it. Um, you know, and, and even in devotion, your devotion. And I mean, the language is second to none when you consider what it is. Um, even compared to the ESV, which comes through that same line of tradition through that the King James started so long ago in 1611. Um, But, you know, these things have to be discussed. Obviously, it's not in the ESV. It's not in the New American Standard, whether you look at the 1995 version or the 2020 version that just came out last year. And these things need to be talked about. And so hopefully you guys won't send us a lot of hate mail on this um with it but yeah i would say that that's not it's not scripture um as much as i want it to be um how great would it be an explicit text of the of the trinity but unfortunately it's not and
0: yeah um, so as you were saying there, then with, with verse 9, we see if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So again, I think this the the evidence that the spirit is indwelling in a believer is going to testify to the, to to the truthfulness that you are a child of God. You are one that belongs to him. And, and one of those evidences again is we've mentioned this already, but one of those evidences when you sin, there is a genuine conviction in the life of a believer now, I do believe you can sear that at times if you are hardened in your sin. Maybe you have a, um, what's the word where you repeat a sin? Um, where it's con- like, um, I'm trying to think of the word. Habitual? Yeah, habitual, thank you. Where you have like this habitual sin that you, 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 you can't seem to, to uh, overcome at times. You may grieve the spirit in such a way where you don't feel a connection or close to God. But again, feelings don't dictate reality. They don't dictate truth. God has never moved from you. Um, but when you confess it, He is faithful and just to cleanse you of all your sin. And, and and but I think at times we can feel distant from God because we know we're in sin and we're struggling with a, a certain sin, or, or you know, so to speak. But the Spirit will convict you. It will not be a comfortable place to be. Whereas an unbeliever would have no conviction of their sin. They may feel guilty about something. Like, I've used this analogy before. Um, If a man cheats on his wife, he may feel guilty about it. But it may not bring about a conviction as if you was a genuine believer that causes you to turn from that, to go to your wife, to to confess that to her, and to work through that. It may just be, "Ah, I feel bad I did that, but never bring about change. There's a difference between guilt and conviction, right? Conviction comes from the Spirit of God in the heart of a believer over their sin. So you won't be comfortable, even if you do have a habitual sin, you won't be comfortable in it for a very long time. Yeah.
1: And you see here, too, the importance of where he's going. He starts with this if statement, if we receive the testimony of men. So he's starting with the lesser, like we accept testimony of men of things that happen, Mm -hmm. but the testimony of God is greater. And so we should accept that God has testified that Jesus came in the flesh. And we see this that this is the testimony God that he bore. And again, like you're saying, you see kind of this internalization of it, that the testimony of the spirit who cannot lie has come into us and that we see that as scripture bears out that this Christ has come in the flesh. I mean today it seems kind of – that's kind of what is accepted in one sense. We have the opposite. Like um, so, uh, historians say, yes, Jesus was a real person in time, which is a little bit different what they're saying here. But they reject God's testimony that he is the second person of the Trinity, which is equally as wrong as the people here are denying Christ came in the flesh. So there's this, the work of the spirit in our heart to take hold of what God has testified and get it. Cause in verse 10, whoever believes in the son has the testimony in him because we have the spirit. And then those who deny these truths are saying that God is a liar, that We don't have a testimony about his son. Obviously, they're in error. John is writing this to kind of prove the point that when we deny the testimony of God, we say God's a liar. He's already done this in the first part of the book and talking about sin. If we claim to be without sin, we make God a liar. And the same thing is happening here. That those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh, who deny the testimony of God, saying that, you know, God can't be trusted. And I think also showing that they're no longer within fellowship with God, because if God's a liar, why would I want to follow him? Why do I want to be friends with him? If he's lied about this, why won't he lie about something else? We have the same mindset with people who've lied to us. Again, I think this is showing the separation between those who are in Christ, who believe the gospel, who believe the testimony of, the, of God versus those who have now separated from the people um, and basically showing that they never had fellowship with them.
0: Yeah. In verse 11 and 12 here, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I think that we see here, again, as we go back to the beginning of this, um, verse 1 and verse six that, 6, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ has been born of God, and this is this testimony, God gives us eternal life, and that life is found in, through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ who came incarnate born of a virgin he lived a life that you and I could not live in perfect obedience to the Father he laid down that life on the cross through his death burial and resurrection he is now seated at the right hand of God and through that death burial and resurrection shedding his blood we who believe get that promise of the eternal life yeah and
1: notice here both in ESV and the NASB that God has given us now eternal life that we have eternal life now it's a present reality it is How we live our lives now. And again that's. As we think about. Kind of even the commandments. That God has given to them. They're not burdensome. That. We. That is an expression of the life we have. Now. We are not dead in our trespasses and sins. Those who hold to the testimony who believe in the son has life now we have life now. And I mean, John talks about this in his gospel, you know, this is connected with the fact that through the spirit, Jesus also indwells in us. Paul talks about this in Romans. And that we should cherish these things, that we have life now. And those who separate us because of false doctrines, those who deny Christ, either as he come in the flesh, as John is talking about, or even if denying that Jesus is the Son of God, not having the right Christ means you've been separated. From God, you don't have life. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And so really the call is, where do you stand? Do you have life? Do you love the brethren or do you not have life? Again, John tells us what that looks like. It's the one who agrees with the testimony of Christ, the testimony of God and understanding who he is and his son.
0: Yeah. Amen. That's been G220 radio for tonight. I hope you enjoyed this program. Again, next week we will be back with the 1689 chapter 22. So tune in live at 9 PM Eastern standard time right here either on Facebook or on YouTube for G220 Radio. Until then, God bless.